This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. Hello, fine uh, EE pod head universe. Right off the top here, I wanted to... Uh... Wanted to issue an apology, you know, made some comments on the show that were, you know, maybe came from a place of being bitter or maybe were a little too like, you know, comic book guy, hypercritical nerd sort of thing. Uh, you know, just being too critical, made some unfair comparisons, perhaps. And uh, just you know, I've been thinking about it. It's probably unnecessary. Don't really need to, you know, alienate potential listeners or potential AEW fans. Probably not the best course of action. So I just want to make a formal apology to Palm Harajuku and all the Palm Harajuku fans out there. That's that's my bad. That's on me. Going to be more cautious and, you know, uh, thoughtful about that in the future. A long time coming, if you ask me. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I appreciate the people that, you know, called me in and said, hey, man, you know, you're out of line here. You're not doing the right thing here. I appreciate that. So thank you. That's good. That's very big of you, Nate. I really respect that. Thank you. Okay, we are also joined by another very respectable man. It's Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Uh, I'm doing all right. Unlike Nate, I was correct about Palm Harajuku, so I have no apology to issue. Wow. <laughs> hey, my Tokyo Joshi Pro Scale is on the level, and I am, you know, I'm just kind of doing all right here. You know, it's uh, we're getting close to Valentine's Day, and a reminder to everyone as your old pal and internet sweetheart, I expect Valentine's Day messages from everyone on the 14th, which might be when you hear this or it might be a little bit before. Please send Reese's Cups, and I'll probably uh, disregard them as soon as Masato Yoshino asks me to go play catch. So, yeah. How are you, AB? I'm great. What a great day. I got tickets to Rage Against the Machine and Run the Jewels. I got uh, Bernie won New Hampshire. He got a new poll out today where he's up. 10 points since the last one. It's just, you just love to see it. It's just, yeah. uh, it's a great time. Yeah. Apparently Bernie's going to be, or some people Bernie's campaigns are going to be in my neck of the woods coming up this weekend. So I'm kind of stoked. I know it's Nina Turner, uh, Susan Sarandon and some others are going to be campaigning in Greenville. So, I mean, I have not had like an inundation of primary stuff other than Tom Steyer, but I'm getting really excited to see what all Bernie will turn out over the next few weeks. You got to love that. So like everybody on the internet goes nuts about Susan Sarandon and Bernie's like, what if I just send her out to do speeches for me? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a ping pong place here. So I think she's okay. You just, you love the, you love the balls of the Bernie Sanders campaign is what I'm getting at. It's like, what if we were correct and right all the time and didn't, you know, hedge or negotiate on that? Yeah. It ruled like when Rashida Tlaib said, like booed Hillary Clinton 
and everybody was going nuts. And she, she even posted an apology and Bernie's campaign manager tweeted like, don't worry about it, Rashida. You know, we got your back or whatever. Very cool. It's really a novel, novel way to approach the whole political thing. No yeah. Kidding. Nina Turner rules like each. like yes. Like she's always out there doing great stuff. And I just it's hard not to like this campaign and where it's going. You got to love it. We are going to talk about something else that I loved, which was this episode of AW Dynamite. We're going to talk, of course, about the ratings on this show, although not as not quite as exciting uh, as it sometimes can be. We'll play Elite or Delete as we always do. We got a little AWX New Japan discussion at the end of the show and uh, some Yuka Sakazaki news. Big hat tip to friend of the show, Matt SDL and number one Palm Harajuku fan. Uh, he tipped me off to this Yuka Sakazaki news, and I was able to uh, post it on the Everything Elite Twitter feed before anybody else knew about it. So it's just, it's excellent. What a great week. Okay, let's get right into Elite or Delete. I think this is going to be a tough version of this show. Uh, if you are an Inner Circle subscriber, you saw the notes before we recorded, and in bad or the delete section i've just got a bunch of question marks folks so we'll get there but nate start us out what was your elite pick for this week elite pick best on interviews 2020 the person who i was right about first or maybe second after friend of the show robert dr Britt baker dmd super heel promo fired up the whole crowd heat levels unseen and you know, uh, cable television wrestling in eons um, came out, gave Tony the fake hug at the beginning where she was like just a fake nice girl and like hugs him right before just tearing him to pieces. Big smile on my face the whole time. Love it. Love Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Yeah, I think that that probably was the best heel promo so far in the company. I think that that was just tremendous work. I mean, I know that for the Jacksonville show, I was pretty critical of MJF's kind of just constantly pandering to Jacksonville and getting decreasing, decreasing returns. Britt here knew what to hit, knew how to turn the dagger into the Texas fan base, make a comment about Whataburger, which, you know, in a different era, people, there would be stuff thrown in the ring. Like she would not be getting out of the building live. So great promo. I hope that this character change and this, uh, it confidence like after like the last few weeks like she's definitely shown a level of confidence that she did not have before i'm hoping that could translate into the ring because this might be what they're hoping for with Britt baker and at least it seems like she's got one facet of the overall character down i'm ready to see if it will continue over to other parts of her as a wrestler i will not be bullied i will not be tricked i will not vote for liz warren and i will not buy into the Britt baker hype this was still bad. She's still bad. She's still going to be bad. No, 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 no. You all are in fucking sane. Get out of here. No. Mind. Bad. Mind. It was this a great was promo. No, it wasn't. It was a bad promo. It was obviously okay, great. what was a bad? What was bad literally, about it? Literally got over with the entire audience and all of Twitter. Like, you can't, can't argue with results. Her delivery was bad, Mike. That's what was bad about it. She's just not good at doing promos. She's bad at it. It's sad to see your uh, intransigence put you into this <laughs> indefensible position where you feel like you just can't turn the corner, so you have to just say these obvious lies in order to try and, and maintain your position and your consistency. But, I, you know, 
the listeners are going to see through it. They're they're going to know that it was obviously good. I would never lie to our fans ever. How can you say that her delivery was bad when we've seen how she's progressed as a promo over the last three weeks? She started off on the cruise boat as Zand out. Can I speak to your manager woman? And now she's in the point where she had the whole crowd in Cedar Park in the palm of her hand with her delivery. Like she's like as someone who I think I might have been one of the most critical people about Britt Baker on this show. This was an excellent promo. And I am still couching this by saying this is only part of the problem with her. We still have to see her like be able to live up to this in the ring. But I think you are just being facetious here. I can't I'm not. I, just, I, don't, I don't think I don't, you're being sincere. I'm not. I am being sincere. I don't know why anybody would waste their time caring one iota about Britt Baker when we know that it's going to fail the second it goes into the ring. That's why I said later it will fail. That, so that's that's who why I said. gives a shit about this. She is never, she's got this one note to hit. She is never going to be compelling in any long-term way. So why waste our time pretending that it's good? Why? It's a fun promo. Already compelling. I'm extremely compelled. I'm not. I could not care less. Uh, the idea that she's going to, I don't know if they're going to throw her in with, with Nyla, but God, what a fucking match that would be. Uh, but not, it just, I just didn't think it was good. I, I saw the comments on Twitter before I saw it. And I was like, Oh shit, this is going to rule. Uh, Brit's coming around. And I was like, no, this is just like last week. Just can't be bothered to care. Sad. That, that will, that would have been my delete. I thought it was the only bad thing on the show. So Mike, give us your elite pick of the week. I'm going to say the, uh, Rio versus Nyla match fucking ruled it was probably the best match they've had on tv since really for me probably since jericho and darby like i thought that this hit all the notes this played off of stuff from their first match in washington dc i felt like that and i said this on twitter as i was watching this live nyla is the most improved wrestler in this promotion from the start of tv to now like and it got to a point where i remember talking to you ab uh, yesterday morning about how we both were kind of like I could see this go either way but they did the handoff in the right way there was a lot of really cool stuff in this match including with Nyla already setting up a table and Riho being Riho being like oh no and she uses the the table as something to run across which is great and I just like come out of this and I'm like okay we saw how they transitioned from SEU to Hangman and Omega and there's still like some loose threads here but I feel like in a lot of way the women's division, like the first chapter is closed. And I'm really excited to see what are they going to do now with Nyla Rose's champion. I thought that this was an excellent segment. Great match. I think that Riho, anyone who thinks that Riho is not a convincing wrestler is completely fucking out to lunch as this match was probably the most compelling match, as I said, since the first uh, world's title match on, on AEW TV. I thought that this was incredible stuff. I went four and a half stars on this match, which as AB just reacts, he knows what kind of Raider I am. So I thought that this for like a TV match, they've already probably put out what I think is the TV match of the year. Yeah, obviously I agree. I, I went four and a quarter on it. Probably, probably the best match they've had on TV, in my opinion. And if it weren't for Cody and Dustin, it would probably be my favorite match period that they had in this, in this company. I just love this match. Well, that's not true. Buck's private party was also one I, I liked a lot, but this is in the, Top three to five matches in the history of the promotion for me. You got another gear out of Riho. I mean, when she's doing like the the Snapdragon and uh, whatever, uh, there was another suplex. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was. She showed some some real power, you know, in the 
way that she could and when she's in there with someone who's much bigger than she is. But she showed why the crowd loves her, why I love her, why everybody loves her except very dumb people. And Nyla, you're right. I mean, there was a time when she was being criticized for in-ring work, which I thought was unfair at the time, but there's nothing you could criticize about this match. She hit all the right notes. It was a, a perfect uh, transition from Riho to Nyla, as Mike said. And I wasn't... We've talked a lot on this show about establishing champions, and I kind of liked... I kind of would have liked to have seen Riho have a long title reign, but... This makes sense as a story. I'm on board. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, a match, obviously, really good. Um, enjoyed every part of it. Uh, I, I, much like AB, pretty much thought now it was good from the jump. So no surprise there. I like that they did a little nod and had Nyla try to hit the one-winged angel on Rio, and then she reversed it with the dragon suplex. That was just like a nice little story nugget of like, Oh yeah, there's like a little alliance here, and Nyla's gonna uh, gonna gonna be snarky about it or whatever. Um, yeah, I guess I I don't really know why you flip the belt at this point. You know, as part of the broader picture, I don't. I'm not super uh, excited about the prospect of just like randomly flipping belts on television shows like that. Just seems like it devalues the belts and devalues the title changes. Um, granted, like they won the, uh, uh, you know, they, they determined the first women's champion on the television show and the television show is like their main revenue source at this point. But, you know, I just title changes should happen to pay-per-views. You should have to pay for the, the title change. And I don't really follow the arc of like Nyla's ascent into becoming a champion and, you know, it, it just felt more like a, a change out of uh, 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 feeling that they needed to mix something up or feeling that uh, they were listening too much to criticism about Riho not being on television enough or something like that. And that's what that that that's seems to me to be the justification for the change. And I I just like Aaron would have liked just to see the championship get established more and have more dominant champions in general. Well, let me lay this out to you. Why I think this was such a great point to choose to do this title change one they've been very careful with nyla pretty much ever since she lost the title where she was defeating people in feuds of course you talk about like the tearing and then like who she's defeating in feuds she took out shauna and then she kept on putting together a win streak yes where there's some of them lower ranked women on the roster yes but then you had the big match in jacksonville the big impromptu four-way women's title match she did not take a fall there I don't believe she's taken a fall since she lost to Riho, to be honest. And if she's lost in matches, she's been on the other side of it. And then you have Riho, who at this point beat Brit Breaker twice, has uh, the weirdness with Chris Statlander and the Nightmare Collective. I guess they did not want to go back to that well going forwards. Uh, Hikaru Shida, there's really not much that they can do with her that they've already done. Emi Sakura is not back around. And then you have Nyla Rose. After that, within the women's division, there's a definite drop off of like as much as and you all know how much of a big fan I'm of Big Swole. She's not at that tier yet for that for the women's title. And uh, we barely see any of uh, B Priestley or Jimmy Hayter, but they haven't been built up in that way either. So unless this was going to be something where they were going to continue this out and then finally have Britt Baker 
win in a heelish fashion. I felt like that this pretty much is. There is now the issue of, okay, revolution, as Nate said, like that's where title changes should happen. We're now three weeks out of revolution. We don't really have a direction now because we had this title change three weeks out. What are they going to do considering that the men's world title matches basically been carved in stone since November. The tag team situation has been so, I don't want to say inconsequential, but like it obviously with the way they've set up that division throughout the entire history, they're deciding it next week in Atlanta. So what are they going to do to set up like a title change now? And that's where I, if I'm going to be somewhat guarded about my, about my appreciation for this title change, that's where I would direct my criticism in is because you have your next big pay-per-view at the end of this month. What are you going to do for your world women's title? Because right now the deck is completely cleared. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do think there's plenty of stuff to do to drag this out for three more weeks and then do this exact same match at revolution. You got the whole thing with pack and Kenny. It's kind of in the background that you can uh, put Nyla Rose and Riho in. I know they don't want to do intergender, but they could have done mixed tags, you know, leading up to that. Um, I know that's kind of interesting because Kenny's also a, the tag champion. So, but I don't know. I don't mind it. I don't mind it that much. It, it may be an issue that Riho can't be around that much. And may, I, we don't even know if she's available for the revolution show. So that could be playing into this. Yeah, it, it, it could be. And that's a valid reason, but it's all, it feels like that could be a valid reason. You know, it doesn't feel like, right. Oh, here's a big momentous title change with, story ramifications and character ramifications it feels like oh maybe nyla won it because riho can't do some dates like and that's i would rather have the former than the latter i think that's fair i i think from the beginning it was never intended for riho to be the first champion so i think it was kind of booked in an ad hoc fashion almost immediately and we're going to talk about this later but cody on wrestling observer radio said with the top people they're planning out six months in advance I'm not confident this was planned out six months in advance where they were going to go. And and now, for whatever reason, where they want to be is for, for Nyla to have the title. And it's something you could have, you know, she could have won the, the first match, you know, the first women's title match in the in the promotion and built from there. But Right, and that really would have, you know, made more sense to have Riho come and be the underdog who storms back and gets the big shocking win after losing to the monster the first time. Like, that does make more sense as a story. Right, there's not an underdog baby face <laughs> to like build from here to eventually beat Nyla. No, we basically had the story in reverse where the, uh, you know, big dominant monster instead started at the bottom and built her way back up to defeat the tiny girl champion. All right. You've talked me out of the title change, even though the match was still a banger. So yeah, I, I obviously guess... great match. Um, and you know, yeah. I, I was entertained watching this entire show. So, you know, we're, we're nitpicking to find something. Yeah. I guess throughout the match, the match won me over on the title change. It's like in the match, they earned the finish. I was like, okay, this makes sense. So I enjoyed it from that perspective, but I see where you're coming from. I guess I have to give an elite pick for the weekend. It's, it's just, I'm excited. It's the build to revolution. I can feel where we're going. I'm worked up. It's throughout the card. We've got the Darby Sammy Guevara match. We're building to, we've got, Jake Hager is going to make his debut. He's going to wrestle Dustin. That's exciting. We've got lots of stuff that's finally percolating. It feels like it's going to be Omega and Page against the Young Bucks at the pay-per-view. 
Jericho and Moxley's heating up. I'm getting more excited about that. It's just, this is much better built overall than full gear. And it's, it's finally, it feels like a real pay-per-view, a real moment in the promotion that's worth getting excited for, worth paying 50 bucks for, and worth subscribing to patreon.com slash everything elite to get the instant reaction show. So it's very exciting. I would like to counter with what my delete is of the week because it plays into what you're saying here, AB. Oh no, you're taking mine. Don't delete the Patreon, please. No, I am deleting Jake Hager versus uh, Dustin Rhodes. Was this was this yours, Nate? That was mine, yeah. Okay, so you have this guy that is only able to wrestle so much. You have a guy who has crossover things with Bellator. And you have done little things to keep this thing up, keep this thing up, keep this thing up. And now we get a match where his first match is against Dustin Rhodes, who has been positioned as a mid-carder, who constantly getting injured, constantly dealing with things against Jake Hager. What's going to happen here? Like, what's the intended result other than Jake Hager with how they've built him up to be to completely run through Dustin Rhodes, kick him in the balls and call it a night? You know, I mean, like this should be the Hager effect DQ, right? But I just think like this match is such like an ancillary thing. Like this is a match that should be on the buy-in. A- am I wrong in saying that? No, yeah, yeah. I think it would be a good buy-in <laughs> match too. I mean, I will, I'll give them credit. So this was also going to be my delete pick, but they did a very good job on this show setting this up. They have a logical reason for this match to happen and for Dustin to be pissed about this match. Like he did the car attack angle where he broke his arm or whatever. Um, it just doesn't, it's not a one of our four pay-per-views per year level match. Like it's Dustin Rhodes versus Jake Hager, who last time we saw him sucked big ass. So it's just not, you know, when I'm sitting down for, uh, however many hours of wrestling in AW revolution, like I don't want 15 minutes of that to be a Jake Hager match in general. Um, but they did do a good job setting it up would be a fine match for the buy-in. Um, and I also like imagine them building this match in like TNA where it's like two ex WWE guys. Oh, wow. We're seeing the big matchup between Dustin Rhodes and Jake Hager. Like it would be the cringiest worst build to a match ever. And it didn't come off like that, uh, on this television show. It was like, Oh, you know, there's, here's a logical match. The fans in Austin want to see this match. So they're looking forward to the pay-per-view now. Like that's what you want. But do I actually want to watch the match? I don't really. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like this was something that if he didn't do this in Dustin Rhodes' hometown, you wouldn't have like the whole thing and the fact that he did horns up and you and it's well known that uh, Jake Hager went to OU. This wouldn't have gotten that response. This would have been like, oh, so this is happening. Okay. And that's why like I'm just like, oh, this is a match you're building up for the pay-per-view. When like we have like other stuff you could have announced there. Like you tease the Darby versus Sammy thing. And Darby laid out the challenge there. You could have very easily had stuff there. The whole thing about the women's t- title situation. Now there's new champion. We could have had more stuff there. So like, that's my frustration. And like, and then it's also Dustin Rose, who's a great wrestler, but is not positioned to like have like this kind of thing. And as Nate said, Jake Hager, he's a great presence. He's great as a heavy, but let's not forget about who Jake Hager is as a wrestler. And I don't see that changing. So I feel like Nate and I are completely changing roles in this scenario especially because first of all i'll do the nate line it's good actually but second of all i can't believe you all are explaining away that the crowd went nuts 
when Dustin said, do you all want to see me wrestle Jake Hager at Revolution? I just said that they wanted to see the match and we're looking forward to They're it. They're dying to see the match. It was it's an awesome be a bad match. This, it is, was this, an... is your, this is your Britt Baker point that when the bell rings, it, you know, it's not going to matter because no, Jake Hager is going to go out there the rings. in his basketball shorts it, it, it's and he's going to shut up the ring. It's going to be good. Aaron, I could have gone out there and said Nolan Ryan is the best pitcher to ever live and it got the same level of pop as they did for that challenge. Let I me remind you. I, I think AEW fans are too uh, young and affluent to know who Nolan Ryan is. Baseball is a very affluent sport, so that so counter yeah, on that. It's all, it's all the fifty-year-old NXT viewers with money. That's fair, but the point is that this crowd was in the palm of their hand. You could have said someone could have squirted a, a Whataburger hot, a spicy ketchup onto Britt Baker for a comment, and the crowd would have exploded. Like, yeah, but the the thing about it is, when you do that, when you put it in the right place, and you get the right reaction, the whole audience sees it, and that trickles down to the rest of the audience. They. You like it seeps into your brain like, oh fuck, I should be excited about this. Okay, we'll see about That's this. That's how in TV works. We'll it see was, how this yeah. is in Atlanta. We'll see. It was well built, but it's if I paid two if I paid two hundred bucks to see to go to Revolution, I would be annoyed that I had to watch a Jake Aker match <laughs> no, against against another fifty year old guy. I'd be like, it's gonna be good. Every ah. Dustin match has been good. It's gonna be good. Jake Hager, I know this was a long time ago, but the whatever his name was versus Rusev matches were very good. Okay. He's got it in him. No, he had it in him. It's in there somewhere. And he's got this whole MMA gimmick. He's going to kick him in the nuts. It's going to be good. And it's going to be like 10 minutes. And it's a low, it's a bottom of the card match. What all do you want? They can't want do like, match. no, this is going to be good. All right. I'm running Jake down. Hager, Jake Hager's role should be in the end guys in the nuts. And then eventually he should job to Darby. Yeah, basically. And that's what's going to happen is he's going to knee Dustin in the nuts. Actually, this can't happen. I was going to say that Dustin can set him up for the shattered dreams as the finish, but Jake Hager has to beat Dustin, right? I mean, you have to keep up. They've they've had Dustin beat Sammy Guevara, who also has a pay-per-view match. Yeah, they should have. Dustin's like pretty protected. Yeah, somebody said this, but they, they should have had Hager interfere and you know cost him the match or whatever to further set this up but anyway i have now put this on my whiteboard to remind you when this match is longer than 10 minutes and not good damn damn he's coming for you it's gonna be good it's gonna be good okay that's uh oh, that's the leader to, I delete, yeah right? i don't get to delete anything oh yeah go ahead nate what do you got bud uh so i want to delete jake hager versus dustin rhodes um <laughs> <laughs> Again, it was a well-built segment. No, so here's what I'll delete. Uh, Riho versus Nyla should have been the main event on this show. Like, Agreed. title match, great match, better than the main event we actually got. Granted, the main event was, you know, in in the direction of furthering your main event world title feud. But, yeah, just should have done Riho versus Nyla as in the main event. Strong agree. Okay. Real quick, I want to talk about patreon.com slash everything elite. We got three tiers. jump on, come join us. The $5 tier is the the best value in all of pro wrestling audio. That's right. This week, the Aarons. Aaron Taub and I, if if you're a Bernie guy, we talked about Bernie. So that's pretty much it. The episode's called Bernie or Bust. So that's exactly what you're getting out of it. Next week, Patreon special Q&A. If you are a subscriber, 
Go on the Patreon, find the post where we ask for questions, and ask any question in the world that you want us to answer. doesn't have to be about AEW. doesn't even have to be about wrestling. It can be anything. Oakgan just asked me how the Amanda Shires concert was last night. He's really on a roll of questions. So I will answer that on the show. But ask anything you want. We'll answer it. And we're going to make the show available for all tiers. So you can sign up for the $3 tier. You're going to get like three bonus episodes. This is Cody. Small business tyrants about Gabe Sapolsky and something else that I can't remember. But you'll get all you'll get some really good shows. And uh, you'll get this Patreon Q&A and you'll get to ask any question you want. If there's something that's just burning up inside you that you want to know from the three of us, this is your opportunity. So go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Subscribe. Remember that the, I almost said full gear, the instant reaction show for Revolution will probably come out in, in March because this is on February 29. By the time we get it posted, it'll probably be March. So don't subscribe if that's the reason you're subscribing. Wait till March 1 and sign up then. That's it. Ratings. All right. Kind of uh, a weird week. AEW basically loses the gains they made last week in total viewers down 817,000 uh, from 928,000 last week. 10th in the demo, which is actually up from 11th last week. 0. 0.30 down from a 0.36. NXT dropped slightly from 770 to 757. They moved up quite a bit in the demo, a 0.24 and 21st overall. Uh, I don't have any strong takes about this. Yeah, I think uh, really just a element again or a symptom again of the younger, more affluent AEW audience. Uh, they were probably playing the new Fire Emblem Three Houses DLC, and that kept them uh, from watching an AEW Live. You know, they probably caught the uh, DVR viewing later in the evening or uh, today. You know, uh, I'm someone that like I I have the spreadsheet that's on Patreon that I list everything for every week. It's really well laid out and go and you're able to kind of see how the trends go from week to week. But like the big thing that this week wasn't even necessarily a trend. It was the fact that this was a big TV night. Wednesday has become a big TV night. You've had Mass Singer, even though Mass Singer is still a little down, gets 7 million viewers. You get the Dick Wolf series of shows on NBC, never goes below 7.5 million. The Return of Survivor. Survivor's old and attracts the olds. So that could be a reason why there was a drop there. And I'm looking at right now at the individual demos and, oh, actually their plus 50s are virtually the same. Never mind. But there's also, like, this is a big TV night. You had big NBA games. I know how we talked about the real wars between AEW and NBA. Well, here's what you had for NBA last night. You had the Lakers, who are a popular team right now because of Kobe Bryant's death. In the well, early, they're always popular, Mike. but but even more so. I mean, let, let's call a space bay. There, there's a death bump that's happening on that too, for that death team. And viewer. yeah, I mean that's what it is. And they were in the early slot, and then you had the best player in the NBA, Giannis, in the evening spot. Okay, a lot the best of people player in the NBA was on in the Lakers game. I I don't recognize that they had the, the most recent MVP, and it's Giannis. Am I wrong about that, AP? You're wrong that he's the best player in the NBA, but carry on. But so basically, you probably had a bunch of people keep on ESPN, and then you looked at the rest of the things, like we're in the primary season, so the olds and the people of the brain not screwed on right are watching Fox News. You had a, a 
housewife show. So it just was like a big TV night. And sadly, as Nate said, people probably, the younger viewers, had something they wanted to watch immediately, and they'll catch this on DVR. So, yeah, weird week. I don't know if there's any big conclusions to be made here. No, my statistician friend gets mad at me that we talk so much about the individual ratings. He's like, it's literally meaningless on a week to week basis. Like you have, to, you can look at train trends in the long term, but like, it's just madness to discuss it week by week. So uh, yeah, I'm just going to be silly about it now, I think. All right. Okay. Obviously the Britt Baker thing is what brought down the rating this week. So, okay. Down into the rundown of this week's episode we opened with a recap video and i started writing out each segment and then i realized it was just all the big stories so it just recapped everything from last week and in the ring once we got started with live video was the tag team title match kenny page kenny page fuck hangman page and kenny omega defeated the scu team of frankie kazarian and scorpio sky omega pin kazarian after the buckshot b-trigger combo but Kaz grabbed the bottom rope right after the three count. Also a very good match on this show. Yeah, yeah killer match. Yeah, this was a fun opener. I like how they do like the hot tag team openers dating back to the Bucks and Private Party, and we had another one. So, yeah, this was a fun match. Okay, I thought this was like a really good match. Like, not just fun. I thought it was excellent. I don't I don't know. Know. I, people were going crazy hyperbolic about it. And like, I saw people like, oh, it's a match of the year candidate. Okay. Yeah. No, that's you know, I'm sure some people really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, you know, in general, a very strong episode. A lot of people thought this episode was like the best dynamite yet to this point. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, uh, very good match. Um, I, you know, am less invested in the SCU team at this point in time, but yeah, all the, all the wrestling was strong. Yeah. I think, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I was gonna say, I gave this three and a half stars. Like for me, that's a match that's worth recommending. So like match of the year level, no, but it's just a match that like if someone's going to put together like a best of AEW 2019 TV tape, yeah, this is absolutely on there, but I would chill out the hyperbole on this match. Yeah, my big takeaway from this match is that Hangman Page is a bigger star than Kenny Omega. Don't think you're wrong. He's certainly hotter. Right. At this moment, he's a bigger star to the AEW fans than, than Kenny Omega is. It's kind of funny that this whole thing has really redounded to his benefit rather than rather than Kenny's, uh, which, you know, Kenny's going to have his chance to shine. But uh, that's that was my takeaway from this. He's just, they love him. The fans love him. And um, it's good to see. You know, he's a guy that you want to root for. And so it kind of sucked when he was flailing. So it's good to see him coming back out on top. Kenny should be coming out with both belts, I think. He should bring his AAA title out. I agree. Just give him, he needs a little juice to hang with because Hangman's got his belt, and then he drinks the beer, and he's like, I've got two things, Kenny. That's why I'm a bigger star right now. So Kenny should have both belts. And better hair. I mean, I think that's a big part of it, too, for Hangman. Uh, the, the story here, so at the beginning, before the match gets going, the Dark Order comes on the, the screen. You say, best of luck in your match tonight. We are everywhere and we're closer than you think. We're preparing for the arrival of the Exalted One and we will strike. Christopher Daniels offers to go investigate, which commentary points out makes him seem suspicious. And this leads me more to what Nate was saying last week, that they're trying to uh, red herring us with, with Christopher Daniels more than this actually go that way. Yeah, leaned on it a little too hard. He's going to be the red herring. It's ultimately going to be the exalted Matt Hardy. 
if Jim Ross points something out, that means the dumbest person on the face of the planet can't understand it. So it's not the story. Okay. Post-match. <laughs> Losing my mind. Sorry. The SCU team still in the ring. They're frustrated. The Dark Order comes out and surrounds them. Uh, best friend comes out to help SCU. And then we start just piling up teams. Uh, Butcher and the Blade, the Hybrid 2, the Bucks come out. And then I realize, oh, this is an angle to set up the uh, Tag Team Battle Royal, which uh, is, is dumb. And uh, Christopher Daniels never comes out. But the big takeaway from this was that the Bucks stood tall at the end. I don't think Battle Royal, Tag Team Battle Royal is dumb. I think that's kind of just a fun thing. I think people enjoy Battle Royals. You know, it's not adhering strictly to the rankings or anything, but like, again, the rankings are like fake. So, you know, just that's fine. Um, and I think, yeah, the Bucks stood tall. I think tipping us off that they're going to be the team coming out of this Battle Royal, as you mentioned. Uh, and I think the Bucks versus Kenny and Hangman is a great match for Revolution. Yeah, I I think you're dead on about that, Nate. I'm going to be interested to see like what kind of rules they're going to do. Is it going to be okay? The last, if one person's eliminated from your team, your entire team's eliminated because that's really fucking lame. But if they do it okay, you still, as long as a member of your team is in the ring, you're still a part of the Battle Royal. That would at least be a little bit interesting and not just convoluted as all get out. But yeah, I think it's Bucks. Most likely, just because they've been they've been hammering on that point for so long, and you know, I think that that's a compelling revolution match, and I think that that's where they should go with this. It's a great match, but tell the story, get us there without this battle royal. I mean, there's a reason for these two teams to face each other, and instead, over the past two to three weeks, they've kind of been in uh, this been stalled. This story's been stalled of like they do the thing with Adam Page, and it's the same thing each week. So. Get us there organically without this gimmick of the Battle Royal. So I think they are getting it organically to this point. I think they're just taking a different direction with the story. You're looking for, oh, things finally come to a head and the guys blow up at each other and that leads to them wrestling each other. And they're, I think they're just telling a different story, which is, oh, now these teams are facing off against each other, even though they're friends and there's going to be tension there to see if it finally comes to a head and explodes in the match. Um you know, maybe you prefer one to the other, but I think it, they're just approaching it from a different way. I could see that. I don't need them to blow up at each other, really. I could, I'd be happy with one of them. You can have the Bucks or you can have Paige do this, where they just decide, like, you know what? You don't trust me, whatever. Let's settle this in the ring. Like, let's have a let's have a match, whatever. Or the Bucks right. just saying, we're the best tag team. So you guys are the champions. Let's have a match. I mean, there's other ways to get there. I just don't like the Battle Royal artifice. Yeah, I, the Battle Royal Artifice is fine. Artifice. Um, it, there's, when they when they win the Battle Royal, there's gonna be a big pop. If they then do a face down on TV with Kenny and Hangman, there's gonna be a really big reaction to that, and you're gonna turn around on it and be like, "Oh, that was awesome! The crowd went crazy." Now I'm excited for the match. That's my prediction. Oh, I'm gonna be excited for the match. It's a great match. I just think the tension could be better. Next, we had Jim Ross sitting down with Santana. Uh, Santana tells a story about calling his dad because uh, his life was going poorly. He was saying he was living in a, a shitty apartment in the Bronx, and he was broke. And he, he the way he expressed that to his father was to say that it felt like darkness every day. Well, apparently his dad had been going blind since the age of 14, so his retort was, 
that uh, that's what every day of his life is like. I thought they were going away of him saying like, no, yeah, I understand what having a shitty life is like. I thought that's what the dad was saying. But then it turned out that he had been uh, apparently going blind since he was 25. Uh, we'll start at 14, but like pretty much done by 25. And then they, he strongly suggested that his dad is now dead, but I, I don't, I don't know whether that's the case. I believe he just passed away on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I missed that. Mm-hmm. I missed that. And then uh, they kind of transition into the, the storyline and he says, John Moxley could have joined the inner circle, but he built his own coffin. And tonight he's going to know what it's like to live in the dark. Great. Fantastic promo. video. Just awesome. Uh, really refreshing and amazing to see this much depth from what is a heel character. Like it's like, Oh, this person's a human with like, you know, uh, uh, problems in history and, uh, you know, things that are, are personal and, and they're vulnerable to, uh, but he's still a bad guy. Like, don't get that in American pro wrestling very much. Um, and yeah, just, you know, he's a fantastic promo in general, but here where he was talking about something obviously so personal to him was great television. Sitting across from JR was a great way to set it up. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is Santana's a guy who I'm going to root for, like until his career ends. Like he's just that, I'm that level of invested in it. And he's such a good performer on top of it that it's like, it's just great. Can't get enough. Yeah, this was, if it wasn't already for like how many good things were on the show, this is definitely something that would have made an elite just because of how strong and compelling this is, as Nate said. And it's very easy to root for him. I feel like that when they've had these sit down segments with JR and it was, he's done Jungle Boy, I think he's done a couple others. It's very easy to get people behind these wrestlers. And especially, I think this is important for like, let's call a spade a spade here, impact wrestling. A lot of people, other than like really into it, wrestling fans might not have heard of Ortiz and Santana before they showed up in AEW on TNT. So having these things and getting people invested in them is going to be really important, especially because of we're to a point now where the inner circle has existed now since October. So it's not without like the realm possibility that inner circle could be if Jericho loses that revolution, who knows what's going to be the state of the inner circle. So already have the, get these people have rooting interests just in case this is the possibility that happens. They break apart the inner circle. Now you've already had the, the compelling character piece about Santana. We already know his back, his backstory and his history. And now you have instantly a reason to root for him if they decide to do that split. So I think this is just a very well done segment and a smart one that they've done for the future. Next up, we saw a Darby pre-tape video. He's still selling the skateboard to the throat with some coughs. And then he pulls out signs like, like Sammy Guevara has used in the uh, the commercials, except they are on torn cardboard, which is a, a very good Darby, Darbyism. Uh, he says, crushing my throat was a mistake. Sooner or later, I'll find you. In the meantime, Sammy, you busy at Revolution, hit me up, which uh, got a big pop out of me. And... Uh, this was great. When they were coming back, JR said Darby's injury was worse than feared. So they don't know when he'll be back, but he just said he's going to be at Revolution. So I thought that was very strange. Yeah, promo ruled. That was kind of strange, bringing that up in that way. That's all I got. All right, we had Dustin Rhodes defeating Sammy Guevara with the final reckoning. Hager was in there with Sammy. The story was basically that Dustin would, would kind of get ahead in the match, and then Hager would interfere to get Sammy back on top. But ultimately, Dustin got the win. In the post-match, uh, Dustin yells, turn around. Sammy does, and he says, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Jericho's bitch. 
Big Jericho's bitch chance. And he asks Jake Hager, are you ever going to step in the ring or are you just going to collect a paycheck? You're failing at your MMA career. Not sure how. And you're failing here. Uh, you broke my arm. I want a piece of your ass at Revolution. Come look me in the eye and accept it. But he doesn't. He just walks away. All right. There's a video recapping Yuka Sakazaki beating Brett Baker last week. And then the post-match where Brett knocked her tooth out. And then we had Tony with Brett Baker. I think we've talked about this at length. He says, how can you justify what you did to Yuka? And Britt says she did her legal and ethical duty as a dentist. The tooth had extensive decay and had to come out. She says, we don't even know who Yuka Sakazaki is. She just wandered out here. We can only assume she doesn't have health insurance. Unlike you, Tony, thanks to uh, Starbucks. And then Britt predicts that the women's title match is going to be great, but that the winner will still be number two to her. This is where the Whataburger thing came out. She says, the fans have chubby Whataburger faces. This is her division, and what she did last week was a statement. I feel like Cyber Agent definitely provides health care to the TJPW roster. Yeah, they're like required to. Yeah. We can't expect this character to know that, though, of course. <laughs> we got a video recapping Nyla's Reign of Terror and then the Women's World Title match. Nyla Rose defeated Riho with the Native Bomb. I think we've discussed that match extensively. We see Lexi Nair. She's backstage with Chris Jericho and the Inner Circle. Jericho says he's got big news for next week. Moxley has proven that he's a piece of trash. Jericho's disgusted. He has to give him a title shot. So he scoured the globe looking for someone to tear him apart next week. And that person's name is Jeff Cobb. And he closes it out with a great line. I always thought I'd see you in the Inner Circle box, but now I'll see you in hell. Yeah, Jeff Cobb, that's cool. It's like a fun surprise. Uh, the reportage is that he's just a genuine freelancer and still working Ring of Honor and PWG and New Japan probably. So uh, that's like a fun thing that you can do is bring in a known guy from another promotion to do a quick little story or angle or whatever. That's like real pro wrestling stuff. Um, kind of like calling him like a hired gun and like a mercenary. is like, oh, we just had the hired guns and mercenaries established in this promotion, but you know, whatever he's better as a heel. Yeah. I think that this was very uh, pro wrestling one Oh one, very territory shit. Like you can see Tony Khan is someone being a big fan of it. Like this is not too dissimilar to how they would book Bruno San Martino in Madison square garden, where you'd have the big invading heel come in, beat him up. And then next month they would sell the show in the garden based on this match and then Bruno San Martino wins vanquishes the invading heel and you go along the way if this is it for Jeff Cobb I think they did a great job of setting him up for just a one shot and that's it and that's what it all seems like to be I mean I, he seems like he's a genuine freelancer and there's other stuff on his horizon frankly Jeff Cobb can often have diminishing returns so if you can use him for a, a few spots and then let him run off it's probably the best way to use him. So this could be great. I do think he's pretty reliable as a heel. I do think as a baby face, you kind of like get the picture after having seen him a few times. But, you know, he'll pop up and surprise you and, and turn in a really good match out of the blue sometimes. Um, and one time at AEW, he picked up Congo Kong in a vertical suplex, and it was fucking awesome. We got a little Jeff Cobb teaser video here and then a video recapping the Cody MJF Lashes segment. Basically, they spent a few minutes here tying a bow on the Nightmare Collective story and uh, lampshading. 
uh, Brandy's face turn. They've, they've turned her back face by having her come out to tend to Cody in the Lashes segment. Now they bring her out on commentary. She smooths things over with Excalibur, which I thought was a nice little touch since they kind of got into it the last time she was on commentary. And then they use that to sell uh, the cage match that'll be coming up next week with Cody and Wardlow. And then next up, we had MJF defeating Jungle Boy with the double cross. Uh, Jungle Boy was was winning. Wardlow showed up, gave MJF the dynamite diamond ring. MJF hit Jungle Boy with it, then hit the double cross. Uh, after the match, Wardlow picked up Jungle Boy, threw him around, but then Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt came out to make the save. Fine segment. I was a little disappointed with how well they built this up on Road to Austin. Like they did, like MJF is someone that we're we can see the future for jungle boy is someone who's starting to get the gears turning. Where's this going to go with these two guys? And this match was just fine. And I don't know, maybe it was like my raised expectations from like talking to you about it, AB and watching the videos. I was like, all right, this is like the future of all elite match right here. And just kind of was there. I really liked the match. I really thought it was good. I gave it three stars. That's fine. Stars are fake. It exceeded my expectations. I think like, and they had a very good crowd all night, and Jungle Boy got like big, uh, you know, babyface reactions as a guy that you can see continue to rise into stardom. So I was like pretty happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I was saying on on AW Light this week that I just wasn't sure what this looked like in the ring. MJF, not like a super worker by any stretch, but I thought what they put together was really good. It made me excited for. I, I forget that MJF is twenty three years old. It's like, oh, this guy can get a lot better. And it's like Jungle Boy is clearly a guy who, if everything goes according to plan, is going to be great. I don't know. I just thought this was a ton of fun. I really enjoyed it. I think MJF is already better than, you know, you look at like his match at All In and you're like, yeah, you know, that was competent. That was laid out correctly. And, you know, he was held up as part of the bargain. I think he's already, you know, a, a fair shake better than that. So, you know, I don't, I don't have an MJF match on the card and look at it and go, um oh well you know i can check out of that like it's probably going to be watchable i do like when they got are they going to start having wardlow kill more people i don't know why do you have mjf wrestling all the matches when you could have him as like the untouchable guy where you don't see anybody beat him up you know that's kind of i think the more traditional thing is like oh no you have to beat up my heavy in order to even get a chance to lay your hands on me which would make sense with the cordy's cody story but, you know, instead, if you're a, a viewer and you want to see somebody slap MJF around, it's like, oh, well, he's wrestling, you know, every second week. Yeah, like that's a very good point just in how they portrayed this, because I guess the idea is like Wardlow has been used so sparingly. And whenever he's been in action or has been involved in something, it's been of such effect that now we have the idea of, oh, this guy might legitimately be a fucking monster because we saw that his belt shot was the most dangerous lash. We've seen him ragdoll Jungle Boy. So, like, we we have, like, this level of anticipation mystery here. But I do feel like with the kind of character that MGF plays and how he's made such a big deal about buying people off, like, having Wardlow as just the, the heavy you got to go through. And then eventually you, of course, have the great payoff where Wardlow says, hey, fuck this guy, destroys MJF turns face and you could have like a storyline based off that. So I, I'm totally with you on that, Nate. I guess like my thing about this match is I was built up to like, you see, this is a big future match, but this match really was more about 
oh, Jungle Boy's here. He's just going to lose this match. And because we're really setting up this MJF and Wardlow thing and the Cody and MJF thing. Like, I guess that's a little bit what more of my frustration is in expectations. Next up, we got another pack video. He says, Kenny is on the slippery slope to mediocrity. He hasn't been the same since Pac choked him out in Chicago. But Pac understands why Kenny's self-confidence is shot. It's because of him. He says, I am the goddamn best. The depth of my conviction haunts you. What a great line. I just love that line. He said, Kenny's scared as you fucking should be. What a promo this guy is. Uh, He tells Kenny, no more dodging. In two weeks, I get my rubber match. 30 minutes with the best in the world. Aren't you a lucky bastard? Great promo. Yeah, awesome promo. Second best promo after Britt Baker on the show. This fucking owned. I love Pac. Nothing else is new. Main event time, John Moxley defeated Santana with a paradigm shift. Uh, before this started, Jericho, Sammy, and Jake Hager all entered a luxury box. Uh, Mox came out with a branded eye patch. Not sure if they're selling that on the AW shop, but it had the MOX on the iPad, I think, I think Excalibur said that they were adding. Maybe he was. Maybe that was a joke. But he did talk about there being eye patches on the shop. But he had one that was branded for sure. Uh, Post match, Ortiz immediately attacked. The inner circle came in. Uh, they whipped John Moxley with the belt. Hager gives him the nut shot. Jericho gives him the Judas effect. But then Jeff Cobb comes out. Pretty big reaction for Jeff Cobb. He gives Mox the tour of the islands. Uh, good little good little segment here, even if the match disappointed a little. Yeah, so the John Moxie eye patch is $14.99 on ProWrestlingTees.com. Um, also, the you know, they gave uh they gave Chris Jericho that uh, neck bandana with the had the Puerto Rico flag on it, uh, and then he got his own. This is Le Champion. That's also $14.99 on, on Pro Wrestling Tees. I love that Jericho calls Santana Santana and he says it like <laughs> he like really. Uh, exaggerates it very funny very politician kind of sounding the way he says it yes he sounds like mike bloomberg speaking (laughs) right yeah uh one thing about that eye patch uh as someone who's had to use an eye patch for a couple weeks 14.99 was not very different from what i was charged but for my insurance for an eye patch so maybe grab one guys you never know when you're gonna have a softball hit you in the eye like what happened with me seems like we need a real paradigm shift with the health insurance industry i know right but yeah, this Cobb segment ruled. Like, they if this is what they're going to do with Cobb, this is perfect. Like, n- love it. It's incredible. I really liked that they announced him and then had like a surprise appearance on the same show. Right? Wasn't that weird? Was was that's what no, I'm I, don't, I don't know. Is that there it was a weird. better way to like bottle that pop up and get it here. I really liked it. Um, they got they got they got two pops for the price of one, right? They got the pop for the announcement and then the prop for the surprise appearance instead of like, if you announce them, then the next crowd knows that he's going to be there or whatever, right? And I just kind of, uh, it served as a really good exclamation point on the beat down so that it just wasn't, oh, you know, everybody, you know, it's a, a inner circle gang beat down, you know, seen it before. Like, I just put a nice little, like, good show closing uh, exclamation point on it. And yeah, I don't know. Just, uh, I don't know if that's a, if that was a TV tactic where they want the crowd, they want the audience to think, oh, you got to stay tuned because, you know, uh, you never know what's going to happen at the end of the show or, or what it, what the thing was. But I just really, I was like, oh, that's, I like how they set that up. Yeah. And another thing about this, they already had a uh, video ready for Jeff Cobb. 
by him doing the tour of the islands on Moxley, that's another clip you can just put in a premiere, add on to it, so you're not just constantly having to say this footage is brought to you by All Pro Wrestling. So it it, it covers a lot of bases there. But I thought this was tremendous. All right, great episode of Dynamite. I really enjoyed it. I, I I'm not ready to call it the best episode because. You had those early episodes that had the really hot angles at the end, and this did not end as hot as it started, probably. But overall, really enjoyable. All right, here's what they recorded for Dark. Chris Statlander took on Diamante. Big Swole versus Christy Janes. The Young Bucks versus QT Marshall and Peter Avalon. And Best Friends versus The Hybrid 2. We'll be talking about that on AW Light on Wednesday morning for all tiers of our Patreon subscribers. Next week in Atlanta, we've got the Tag Team Battle Royal for a shot at the titles at Revolution. We've got Cody versus Wardlow in a steel cage. John Moxley takes on Jeff Cobb. And Kenny Omega and Hangman Page will defend their titles against the Lucha Brothers in a pretty inspired defense, I would say, based on the, the long-term booking here. Yeah, this is a big-time show. This might be, I know I feel like I've said this a lot, this might be like one of the biggest shows that they've done on TV here. I mean, with the exception of having both of the other titles defended, like this is pretty much as big as it gets. They've built up Cody versus Wardlow for two months now. The, the Moxley versus Cobb really expertly done. And then the tag team title match, uh, of course, uh, Penta got the pen two weeks ago. So this is great stuff. Like this is going to be a big show and they're in a big NBA arena. So important for them to kind of put up their best foot forward for their first show in Atlanta. All right. Here are some other news notes. I should say Mike and I will also preview that show on next week's AW light. And regarding dark, Mike and I got a little something in our back pockets. We'll see if, if it comes together for dark, but I'll just tease that a little. Okay. Other stuff. Chase Owens, new Japan's chase Owens was at dynamite last night. So, well, let's, let's, weave right into this because Chase Owens works for New Japan. As I understand it, he just recently re-signed with New Japan, correct? So uh, Cody was on Wrestling Observer Radio with Dave Meltzer recently and talked a little bit about the AEW-New Japan relationship. Nate, I know you listened to that interview and you recapped it on our Twitter account for everyone, but what did you take away as as it relates to the AEW-New Japan relationship uh, such as it is. Uh, I think it was probably a mostly like a clarifying discussion for a lot of people that maybe have uh, misconceptions just about how this sort of thing works, I guess. Uh, you know, the, the takeaway basically is that Cody acknowledged that there is communication between AEW and New Japan and that everybody still has each other's phone numbers and they keep in contact. And if you're a worker like Chase Owens uh, and, you know, you have traveled with the other members of the bullet club and the elite for a long period of time. Like they're probably, you know, not freezing each other out because, you know, they happen to be bad blood between them and management or whatever, like they're peers, or I guess they were peers until the elite became management. Um, the, so, you know, uh, it just, it stands to reason. And I think we've implied as such in the past that when you have guys that are going to Japan to wrestle, uh, one weekend and then flying to Huntsville, Alabama and then flying back to Japan to continue to wrestle. Like it stands to reason that these people are going to have some sort of uh, 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 communication between the offices. And, you know, the interesting part, I guess, is Cody says, uh, you know, he expects at some point that they will 
have some sort of talent exchanges in the future with New Japan. He doesn't like the concept of the dual show, like the old WCW versus New Japan shows that they did at like Starcade or they did in the Dome. He just didn't seem personally like he enjoyed those shows. Uh, but he would be interested in like a longer term sort of talent exchange to bring somebody in for an angle, perhaps like they're doing with Jeff Cobb. Or, you know, uh, he didn't mention this, but, you know, bring in a young lion on excursion and have him be an undercard guy on dark or something so that he gets more reps and exposure in the U.S. So, you know, really the uh, it's more of a interesting listen, this particular interview that he did for, I guess, his perspective on, you know, starting a, a company basically as a startup and entering that management role and, uh, you know, getting used to the, the communication changes that that requires and stuff. But yeah, you know, a, a guy like Chase Owens showing up here, like, you know, we, the, the people at AEW and people in our generation, like they conduct their business by text message. So Kenny was probably like, Hey man, we're in your neck of the woods. I'll have some tickets for you. Feel free to come through. Like it's not that complicated, I guess. Yeah. I, I think that with these people and these personalities, there's naturally going to be levels of resentment for how things went down and how, relationships evolved or devolved over the last few years of the elite in new Japan. But thinking that there's like the whole forbidden door thing. And I know that he made a comment about the forbidden door line saying that you're on their show. It's not some forbidden thing. And the whole thing with like Jericho Moxley, it's not like that this is the USSR versus Reagan where there's like the, the red phone to Moscow. And that's the only way that they communicate. Like it just doesn't make sense that for there to be like this complete cold war here. Like are there people still probably in, in New Japan who have kind of better feelings about this? Yes, that's natural. I mean, that's how things are with when you have like competing personalities, ideologies, and what things are going to go in plans. And I think it's the same thing. I was like, it makes sense to me with like some of the comments that have been said before about people in AEW about their last time in, in New Japan and being bitter about that, just because that's how that's the nature of human emotions and human ego. So I, I think that like at least from like the interview itself, like Cody seemed to be on the very least, like not getting into like dark dark Twitter stuff because dark Twitter stuff is tiring. He seems to be pretty even keeled. And I feel like that that like if 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 I was gonna have someone like sit down and have like a business interview with Meltzer and Alvarez, this is the person I'd want to have because if anything, like he seems to be the person who maybe it's that he's I think a little bit older than the rest of them that he's able to have more of an even keel about this. Well, I don't think it was in this interview, but I believe it was in something else. Maybe it was in this, but Cody mentioned that he perhaps made a lot more money than the bucks and Kenny did. Uh, yeah, basically... that, was, that, that was in this interview. He, he okay. actually said, Oh, as an XWW guy, they paid me much more than the other guys who had been kicking around in their system already, which was pretty enlightening. I think also, um, and, uh, you know, hopefully Chase with that new contract got uh, some of that bump um, that, you know, uh, Juice Robinson and Will Osprey and those guys got, uh, uh, you know, we've been talking about this from the start, uh, you know, most likely as a result of AEW coming on the scene and offering competitive contracts to people like that causes contracts to go up elsewhere. Uh, but, yeah, that was enlightening. And um, you got to imagine John Mox is just making a shitload of money right now, jumping over there all the time. Yeah, as long as like travel concerns and health doesn't hurt. I mean, for someone like John Moxley, other than uh, one can only imagine the amount of money that 
as we've heard about Edge and the revival that have been, when people have been using the two sites to negotiate now, I have to imagine that John Moxley is probably doing as well now as he's probably done with the exception of like peak shield run right now. As far as the other interesting stuff from this, I thought uh, they talked about merch sales or Cody talked about merch sales a little bit. He said Jericho's our top merch seller, but he also listed off Orange Cassidy, Joey Janela, and Luchasaurus as having high merch sales. I thought that was interesting. And he said that the the women's merch sells, I guess, better than they anticipated. And uh, perhaps in comparison to WWE, uh, it sells pretty well. That doesn't surprise me. Like going to shows, I was kind of taken aback at all out how many people had Jurassic Express stuff and Luchasaurus stuff there. So, and then like always like with Orange Cassidy and like that. And I mean, I remember like Riho's like shirt that had like the old gym font with her name on it and then like with the baseball tee looked like one of those things that would draw well i think they've for a lot of shirts that aren't personally my thing i could see why like what they've done with a lot of the women's merch has gone pretty well and how orange cassidy and joey janela no shit they're gonna have high merch sales i mean look at the disparity and and what they come in from the internet to now it makes sense all right anything else about that interview that stood out to either of you? Mm, no, I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I guess on the point of who you would want conducting these interviews, yeah, you know, he comports himself pretty well as a figurehead for the company, and um, you know, even in in BTE and stuff or on Twitter or whatever it is, like you know, you can see where he is uh, can be brusque or whatever, but like even when he's a dick, it's kind of in a charming way. So. Um, he did make a little a funny little line to Dave about how he's probably your least favorite member of the elite, which was kind of funny. Um, yeah, worth a listen. I think I teased this uh, Yuka Sakazaki news, or did I say it out outright? I can't remember now. You've said it in other forms before. So I think okay. you said it at the beginning of the show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, she's not going to be on Tokyo Joshi Pro's March One show. They announced that, and that's one day after Revolution. So the Easiest thing to infer from that is that she's going to be on Revolution. Now, that led me to believe that Riho was going to win because it made the most sense for you could have moved into that since they had a history and they talked about on television that she had pinned Riho the last time they faced off. That might have just been on Dark, but they talked about that, that she had pinned Riho. Now, I'm not sure. Honestly... A Nyla Yuka Sakazaki match is much more likely to be good than a Nyla Britt Baker match. So I think that would be a, a decent pay per view match. Well, Yuka beat Britt Baker. So that's got to be the direction, right? Nyla versus Yuka? Yeah. That makes that's sense. Probably, that's probably why she beat Britt Baker, is to set her up to challenge Nyla and give Nyla a first defense. That makes sense. I, I looked at the Tokyo Joshi Pro schedule, and after February 16, they don't have any shows until March 1. So she could come and do enough TV to set it up a little bit before Revolution. And Mike, you've added something here. You got a note about Triple A. Yeah. So this was kind of announced over the last week. This was announced on the ninth. They have a big show coming up on the twenty-first of March, and this will be the next time that Kenny Omega will be in Triple A. Is there? Ray De Reyes show. It is one of their biggest shows of the year. He will be defending the AAA Mega Championship. Don't know who it's against. Does not like this is not a show that I feel like you're going to see like Roosh or LA Park in that title match. Like I've heard like 
I, I've heard maybe like Laredo Kid might be the title chance there. So that's coming up. Uh, also, Lucha Brothers are defending the AAA tag team title. Not also does not have an opponent there. So there's a chance that like as this relationship is developed, we've seen more AEW people on this show. The show is on a Saturday, so there's not likely any big TV concerns there. So probably as more stuff's announced for it, I'll have more news about it as we're going along. All right. Anything else that you all want to talk about before we get out of here? I uh, started watching Terrace House. So I'm oh, catching yeah. Up really? That. Okay. Yeah, this is yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. get fired up. Hell yeah. Right, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm perked up. Let's hear what you got to say about uh, uh, Terrace House. About five episodes in, so not too far. Ruka, okay. really, does Ruka remind you guys of Kota Ibushi? Yes, he yes. looks like Kota Ibushi. Looks like Kota Ibushi, and you get like he's kind of like dumb, charming, like Kota yes. Ibushi. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. I think that was my that was my big takeaway. Hana's not on the show yet, so I haven't gotten to any real stardom takes. Yeah, you're about uh, without giving up the ghost there. You're a little bit away out there, but this is an interesting season that has happened and has evolved as it's gone along. We have talked about doing some Terrace House related content for the Patreon that we're trying to get off the ground. So I'm glad I'm glad now that all three of us are inside the house because this is <laughs> my favorite show on television to the extent of I rewatch the stuff on Netflix nonstop. It's, it's very watchable. Yeah, I'm not at all. I'm not even really a television person, but I'm definitely not like a reality show person, but. I guess I am just like a, you know, a, a terrible weeb or whatever now. So definitely appealing in that regard. I don't think I like Haruka very much. Yeah. So she, well, I won't, I won't give you any spoilers for, for Terrace House, but yes, I agree with you about Haruka uh, at that moment in time. I, I think okay. my opinion changed over later, but. I mean the, the whole like Cornette or Cornette. Corvette thing was fascinating. <laughs> She's like, you know, she just went and had a Corvette drag race and hung out with a bunch of old men. That was kind of, that was a little charming, I guess. It's just like, she likes hanging out with these old guys too much. Yeah. She, she's probably one of the more interesting people and have like the interest. You, you'll find her storyline very interesting, Nate. Like it's very okay. powerful storyline. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, Terrace House is, right. a, <laughs> is a Japanese reality show that, Stardom's Hanakamura is on right now, and the season that's on is Tokyo 2019 to 2020. They've had five seasons of the show. This is season number five, and it consumes my life. So Yeah, so Terrace House, it's the same gimmick as Real World in that it's strangers living in a house together. There's three men, three women. But there's... I won't say there's none of the drama, because there is drama sometimes between the characters. <laughs> but it's much more chill than like the real world is. And something that adds a little intrigue to it is that people can leave whenever they want. So someone will just show up one day and be like, I'm leaving the house tomorrow. And they leave and a new person comes in. So it mixes up the dynamic regularly. And uh, you, you'll see how interesting it is, Nate, when you get there, like when Hana shows up, what that does okay. to the house. So. Okay. Great yeah, forward sure. to it. I do. Yeah, it, I don't know. We'll have to... It's tough to do like a reality show watch along podcast when it's you know uh and you guys are like have finished it already and it's like how do you segment that to make it a digestible way for the audience i guess we've thought about that a lot nate yeah, <laughs> no, this, okay this is that the, there has been long conversations for the last like month or so about this but yeah That's why we haven't done it yeah the, like the big thing about this show even more so than anything it's just like 
AB brought up like the closest American analog. And yeah, it really is real world. Like where people come on the show, the general idea is that you come on to the show because you want to find your love. You want to like meet your partner and you want to have like this beautiful romance, but more often than not, it's more, it's more dating oriented than I realized going into Right. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's that, but like more often than not, it's, you get the people that are in there for relationships and you get the, some people that are on there just for publicity. Like let's call spade a spade. These are, always six very attractive people in a house then a lot of them ended up like there was one season that was all musicians and models and it just was like okay it's getting kind of tiresome and some of the music was really bad but then like you have like one person like there's this one guy from the uh, first season on netflix named hansan who was this architect who just was like this gem of a human being he would settle everyone's problems he was designing a special cafe for people with disabilities like he just was like the guy that like he was the house dad and his role in the show was i'm gonna be the house dad but after a while i'm gonna leave the show so that's the idea of terrace house there's also a panel and they're all they're they're all kind of hilarious people two of them have wrestling ties and it's all kind of interesting okay who are the two because so yamachan obviously is one who's the other wrestling Uh, guys Baba Chan. Baba Chan is a huge wrestling fan. Like she would use to post like which one's she, Baba Chan? She's uh, far left couch. Far left. Far left, yes. Far left couch. Yeah, the super stylish lady in the far left. Uh she used to like be like a big Shingo person. Like oh. she would go like go to shows, especially New Japan shows, some Dragon Gate shows, and would like go be like a big Shingo fan. But like yeah, okay. but yeah, no, Yamasato, uh former DDT Iron Man weight champion. Uh, he he defeated the chicken uh, Yakatori, and then I, I forgot who beat him for that. But he's also done other stuff there. So mm. and it's very wrestling related. Like if you're someone who's interested in the stardom side, soon enough with Hana, like they bring on and she goes and she does stuff with Konami and Jungle Con- Jungle Kiona, and it's all tremendous stuff. But yeah, no, I could honestly sit here for the next hour and a half talk <laughs> about the history of Terrace House and why it's the most compelling thing on television. So big same the the most compelling reason that we should do a terrace house podcast is i've talked sb into doing it and i think i think the people need sb audio i really do sure yeah i think you're i think you're right and if you've have, ever have figure out a way to approach it yeah we need to talk about that and figure that out i i told sarah earlier today i was like can you think about like what an idea would like how we should do this so she's like what do you mean we're just talking about the show and i was like well okay yeah <laughs> but <laughs> So anyway, we'll figure that out. But it's if you've ever thought about going to Japan or if you've been to Japan, it's like it it made me want to go even more. And since I've been back watching it is uh, sort of soothing to me because it's been very sad for me to not be in Japan anymore. So it, it soothes me seeing things that I that I recognize. It's All just- right. Well, that's uh, episode zero of the Terrace House podcast. <laughs> I was about to go off again. I was about to go off again about this. And I'm restraining myself because I really can. Like, before we started this episode, I would totally be. I was like, yeah, my seasonal effective is really bad here. Nate brought up Terrace House. Now I'm ready to go. Yeah. Never feel yeah. good. Everybody, everybody watch the first six episodes just so you're all on the same page with me. And then we'll <laughs> figure, I'm talking to the listeners now. And then we'll figure out something for the Patreon. Okay. Sounds great. I just realized I didn't do any of the plugs at the top of the show. So that's fine. I mean, I don't know if anybody missed them. They <laughs> probably didn't, but you know, some you got to treat every show like somebody's listening who's never listened before. Nate, treat every day of podcasting like it's my first day of podcasting. That's right. Uh, so make sure you're following us at Everything AEW. If you wanted some, the rest of the notes from the Cody interview on Wrestling Observer Radio, there's a great thread that Nate did. 
recapping that. And it's there at that uh, podcast Twitter account. You can follow Nate at Epitasis. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Mike is at Fuji Heya. That's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. Subscribe to the podcast, Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. You can rate and review the podcast. If you are on the Apple Podcast app, please do that. And go to patreon.com slash everything elite and uh, sign up, subscribe. We got plenty of content for you. And make sure if you're a subscriber or if you're going to subscribe now, go and put some questions on the Patreon Q&A and we will answer those very soon. That's it. So for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. I can't.